0: Hello, and thanks for joining
1: us here for episode 430 with Jeff Gargas. I've got many emails from folks who are teachers and want some tips. Well, that's exactly what Jeff does. He equips teachers to be all the more excellent at teaching and shares how that applies to all of us who are not teachers. So you'll learn one, three links between classroom management and organizational management. Two, how to return to caring about people when you don't feel like it. And three, how to reach the unreachable. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at com slash f 430 and while well, at AwesomeAtYourJob.com, I hope you'll check out some nifty stuff, such as every episode tagged by the topic and the competencies covered, which is in the dropdown of the navigation menu where it says podcast over at AwesomeAtYourJob.com. Now, here's Jeff's story. Jeff Gargas is the COO and co-founder of the Teach Better team, the creators of TeachBetter.com, The Grid Method, and Teach Further. He works with educators who increase student engagement and improve student success. Prior to co-founding Teach Better, Jeff was the owner of ENI Multimedia, an online marketing firm where he worked with entrepreneurs and small businesses, assisting them with web design, social media, content marketing, and brand awareness. Prior to all that, Jeff was an adjunct professor at Kent State University and spent over 10 years in the music industry. He's spoken at conferences around the country and has successfully promoted more than 500 events and launched seven businesses in a variety of industries. Big thanks to Jeff for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free Here's Jeff. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us here on the How Do We Awesome At Your Job podcast. Hey, man. Thanks, Pete, for having me. Truly an honor to be on here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm excited to dig in. And uh, first, I want to hear you shared when uh, signing up for this scheduler that you can likely cry at romantic comedies more so than your wife. What's the story behind Ah,
2: yeah, uh, I'm a big sucker for romantic comedies. I've always been a hopeless romantic, as I describe it, uh, just the way I am. I don't know if it's, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I blame my mom, but uh, I'm just a hopeless romantic and my wife's a tomboy. It's just like, I'll, I'm more likely to tear up a little bit at a, at a moment, even if it's in like a silly, like Adam Sandler romantic comedy and it shouldn't be tearworthy. I'll, I'll get there before her for sure. Yeah.
1: Like, it's not that not uncommon. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. I just recently discovered the TV series This Is Us. <laughs> I, won't, I won't even
2: get into it. I won't even get into it because I know what's going to happen. Like, my my brother and my sister-in-law watch it, my mom watch it, and all these people. And I'm like, no, that's not... I, I'm gonna handle that like no way well, it's
1: like it's like it's like it's a good thing I waited t- until I became a parent <laughs> to watch this show otherwise oh, yeah. I would be like, "Yes, it's boring but I'm like oh, oh my
2: god <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy after you become a parent what other things affect you and you're like wow oh, yeah. that shouldn't well oh, okay wow <laughs> yeah it's crazy
1: <laughs> well so now you're also a listener and fan of the how to be awesome at your job podcast like legitimately I am big fan, like legitimate fan. Yes. As opposed to the things that uh, publicists say to try to get you to buy. No, absolutely. Legitimate
2: fan. I, I no joke and not because I was coming, like we were doing this, but I was at the gym a couple hours ago getting my workout in and I was listening to it, uh, with your episode with Michael Hyatt,
1: which was awesome. Uh, he's a big fan of his as well. So yeah, love it, man. I love what you're doing. Totally. Well, I love what you're doing. You are helping the world teach better, so can you orient us a little bit? So you got a few things going on. What's up with Teach Better and the grid method and Teach Further? <laughs> so, yeah, the Teach Better team is, is what we are. Everything's over at teachbetter.com.
2: And we basically, we work, we do a lot of stuff. Like our general mission is we work with teachers and school districts to implement best practices, implement district-wide initiatives and other bits and pieces of professional development and training for the teachers. Essentially, all we try to do is just help teachers be better better at what they do like teachers are already doing amazing things in their classrooms we're not trying to go in and change what they're doing we're just trying to support them in every way in any way we possibly can to help them do it it all got started with something we call the grid method which is a mastery learning framework that my co-founder chad ostrowski created in his classroom basically out of necessity and we was struggling to reach his very high needs population of students and uh, got to the point where he considered quitting and decided that he either needed to go get a job somewhere else or he needed to figure out how to teach better and he luckily stayed in and figured that out he's a scientist by by trade so he kind of dissected everything and and found best practices that seemed to be the research showed would answer his struggles but couldn't find a way to put them all together so we created the system and that's sort of what launched us is he called me asking about doing an ebook because I was in the online marketing world at the time and teachers in his district were asking questions because basically the students were telling them they didn't know how to teach anymore which was fun for him in, in a lot of ways but <laughs> a little target on his back, but also a lot of teachers that were like, Hey, I want, I want to reach these kids too. And then I told them, and our team will tell you my famous words were, dude, we're not just doing an ebook. I said, we have to do something different. You've got something here. And apparently I was right. Cause now we, we're trying with schools all over the country and we're, it's growing and we do a lot more than just the grid method now and teach for there's another model that we have that incorporates classrooms, working with community members uh, in mock internships and real life, real purpose uh, situations and all their units. And we do a lot of your just regular best practices and stuff. I'm one of the co-founders and I work at as our chief operating officer. We're a small business with a small team. So I I really operate also as our chief marketing officer, CFO, HR manager, and just about anything else you can think of. We all wear a lot of hats, but really what I try to do is just work to make sure that we're doing everything we can to first take care of our team. And then a very, very, very close second is take care of our partner schools and all those teachers that are changing the world. Uh, We're just trying to do what we can to help
1: them. And in your work, you say that you have seen many commonalities, connections between some of the the teaching better classroom management stuff and then, you know, nonprofit, government, business, organizational management stuff. Can you lay out that link for us?
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest link to keep it really simple is relationships, 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 and then environment and culture. So I come from a background in the the restaurant industry, managing restaurants, a wide variety of those, also in the entertainment industry for a little while. And I've been pretty much most of my life, ever since when I when I got my first job and was able to get promoted to a, a shift level management, I've been in management my entire life in a supervisor role, and and now with our team, it's a little bit different, and but so many commonalities there. And then we started, Chad and I started seeing all these connections between like how we needed to build things and, and run things in our business and the connections they had to the the management in the classroom and one of the biggest things we saw was like this need for strong foundational relationships and building this, the right environment, the right culture. So like whether you're in a classroom, a restaurant, entertainment company, marketing firm, insurance agency, whatever it is, You need to build a culture of trust, of positivity, and and to build that synergy. And you need that environment that promotes growth, that promotes passion, that promotes excitement around what you're trying to do. And in order to do all that, you've got to build the relationships first. Whether that's building relationships with your students to understand where they're at, what they need, and how to reach them. Or if it's working with that new employee or that struggling employee and building that. And from an employee standpoint, if I'm on a team... Understand that I'm also a massive part of building that culture and building that environment and how I interact with my colleagues, how I interact with my supervisors, and how do I build those relationships so that I can understand how do I do my job the best I can to make my supervisor's job easier because that's going to make my life easier and so on and so forth. So it all comes down, in my mind, it all comes down to those relationships. It's the foundation
1: of everything. Okay, so intriguing. Relationships, relationships, relationships. (laughs) Can you maybe paint a picture for us? So what does it look like for those world-class teachers? I, I, I guess you're going to say relationships, but what does that look like in practice in terms of what are they doing? What are the key differentiators that these rock stars who are getting huge students student learning attainment gains test scores improvements rocking out versus the rest of, of teachers who are kind of you know you know getting by doing okay what are the things they're doing differently how are they working their relationships or or, or classroom behaviors in a different way yeah i mean the relationships are a huge piece of that because you know any kind of management
2: system you put in place in your classroom, any kind of new technology or awesome new innovative type of experience or anything like that that you bring the lesson plan that you bring in, it's going to fall apart if you don't have the relationships to, to build on that. The same thing is I can have the best business plan in the world, but if my team just can't operate because there's no relationship, there that, there's no culture, there, there's no environment, it's not going to work. But I think on top of that, you know, these teachers that we see that are just amazing like that, they, they just have a refusal. To quit. They refuse to quit. We call it the teach better mindset. It's this relentless pursuit of better. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's just better. Better today than you were yesterday. Better tomorrow than you were today. That's what we preach on. And it's never this, hey, we want to change everything you do. Or, hey, it's you got to fix everything or you're not good. It's you can always be better. And the champions that we see, these teachers that are doing amazing things is they always look every day, they reflect in their self-aware, and they're always thinking, what can I do to be better? How can I reach more kids? It's never enough until I'm reaching 110% of them, right? So I think the the teachers that refuse to accept anything but the best for their students and who go above and beyond every single day to do whatever it is that they need to do to uh, support those kids. And if you think about their they're spending their days just pouring love into other people's kids. I mean, those are world changers Like they dedicate so much to it. And I think it's really just that refusal to accept anything. And, and they're willing to take risk and put themselves on the line and challenge themselves every single day, every single second of every day to do better
1: and be better for the kids. Those are the ones that are really making those differences. All right, that's awesome. Maybe you could share a story in terms of a teacher who's really just doing that great. So I just sort of get a sense for build relationships and, and never quit. What does that look like in practice?
2: I can think of a lot of stories, but so I'll pay, like. I mean, it's slightly general, more general, but like, it's the teacher that you mentioned that's already doing pretty well. Right. So I'll talk about Ray, Ray Hewer, who's one of she's on our team, but she's also a phenomenal teacher, which is why we tricked her into working with us. So Ray was a good teacher. She, she was doing well. She did well on her observations. She was reaching most of her students. They, they did well. The bell curve looked like it should. The average kid was doing well. And she could have easily skated by and, and been okay. And just probably had a good career, probably worked her way up to, you know, maybe being a principal one day. That was her, She was going to go back and get her license in. She's got the personality and the, the charisma to where she could have easily got into an admin position and, and probably, you know, had a nice career. But early on, she decided she was not okay with being okay. And she looked and she said, my kids are engaged, but are they as engaged as they possibly can be? My kids are doing well, but are they doing as well as they absolutely can be? I'm reaching most of my kids, but am I really okay with most of my kids? Does any teacher wake up and say, man, I hope I hit some of my kids today. Like, that'd be great. No, I wake up and I say, I want to have every single one of my kids grow today. And I think it was this, that passion in her. And then like, again, that's refusal to quit. But the way she did it, she said, this isn't working. I've got a lot of great pieces, but I need other pieces. She actually developed our Teach Further model. She's the one who, like, that was one of the things that caught her eyes. And she said, how can I take what I'm doing these fun activities and really make sure that I'm not just putting in fluff. Ray's biggest thing is fluff is not enough. And by fluff I mean it's really, you know, it's 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 easy to not easy, but it's easier to create a classroom that looks really cool on Instagram, that looks really fun and engaging. But if there's no purpose underneath it, there's no connection to what they actually need to learn in the real world application of what they're learning in your classroom. It's just fluff. It's not actually doing much other than just being fun for Instagram. And so she said, how can I do that? How can I make these connections? And then she started reaching out and calling companies, businesses, saying, I have this idea. I'm wondering if you'd take this crazy journey with me and allow my students to operate in a mock internship with your company. And here's mm. how I'm gonna connect it to my math standard. Here's how I'm gonna connect it to my ELA standard. And the way that she started connecting pieces to real world applications to these seemingly boring math standards and things like that is phenomenal. And now we've sensed then build help teachers all over connect with major uh, companies and businesses and do some amazing things. But she's a great example of that teacher that you were talking about. That rockstar teacher that just said, I could be okay, I can be comfortable, I can get by, but I refuse to do that. You flip that, you see it in corporate world. I saw it in my in my time of when I was managing people in, in the restaurant industry of kids who came in, and a lot of time. I was in fat, the quick service industry, kids who come in a lot of times, the first job, first opportunity at uh, maybe taking a management position or have a little bit of responsibility. and. You have some that said, I'll just do what I need to do because I'm just here while I'm figuring out what I'm doing in my life because I'm going to college, it's a part-time thing, and others that looked at it and said, if I'm here, I'm gonna be the best here I possibly can be. I'm gonna learn everything I can. I'm going to pick the brains of the people that are here and maybe I'll end up in this place forever and I'll retire here or at the very least, I'm gonna take it and make sure I get the most out of this experience so that when I go on the next part of my journey, my life, I can be the best I can be there. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to any any industry you're in, any job you're in, it's it's this refusal to just settle for being okay. I mean, we spend, what, 60, more than 60% of our lives at our jobs. So if you're just being okay, that means you're just being okay
1: for the majority of your life. I don't know, I'm not okay with that, but. Okay, so I'm <laughs> here. You, so it starts with having a higher standard, a higher bar in terms yeah. of okay, we're going to be the best possibly can. We refuse to quit. So once you've got that commitment, that fire in play, let's talk about this relationship stuff. So how does one go about uh, forging great relationships? It's a couple things. So I, biggest thing with me is
2: I think it's it's Karen. It's actually it's actually Karen though. I have this thing that I talk about a lot where some people do things because the book tells them to. And by the book, I mean the the manual or the best practice or the person who says, this is how you should do your job or whatever. And there's some people that do it because they actually care. A really simplified answer is in a restaurant where an elderly couple is at a table and you go to have a conversation with them, the difference between going there because, well, that's good customer service and our manual says we should focus on customer service versus I'm going there because just possibly those are grandparents who haven't seen their grandson who's about my age in a long time. And I can give them a little glimpse and a reminder of that grandson they haven't seen for a while. I can have a conversation with them and brighten their day. Those are very big differences. And the same thing when it comes to building relationships with your employees, with your colleagues, with your students, it's actually Karen. And it's not, I'm doing this because it's going to better me and make my life better, even though it will, but it's focusing on how can I help make your day better? How can I actually learn? Because I actually want to help you. I think in the more tactical piece, it's it's actually fairly simple. Chad Ostrowski says it all the time is have a thousand conversations about nothing, but truly get to understand in that person dig down and figure out what they're actually about. Like and build that you talk about like authentic relationships, authentic relationships, isn't Pete likes to be rewarded at work. It's No, why does Pete like that? What is the actual reason behind that? What's going on in Pete's real life that connects him? Why is recognition at work so valuable to him? So that I can truly understand what truly drives you. And I think work with teachers on that. The teachers that truly understand what their students need and what drives them and each individual student, they're the ones that reach them. They build those relationships, and that student wants to work for them. And I think that's the the biggest piece of that is, is truly, actually caring, and then having those conversations to dig down
1: and actually understand those people. Well, no, that's intriguing. When it comes to the actually caring part, I'd love to get your take. If you, if you don't actually care <laughs> on a given day because you're tired, you're stressed, you're overworked, you got so many distractions, whatever your reasons, I'm going to assume you're not just like a, an evil, uh, hateful person, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, to give a day you don't actually care sure what do you recommend to, to get back into that zone
2: so there's i guess two parts to that one is my thing would be figure out why you don't care that day and see if there's something you can do to fix that but uh, sometimes there just isn't anything you can do Would you try to leave it in your car you can't and you just don't have it in you so then it's you may still want to practice that because that's still important to your in your role but also to that person it's important for them to, because you still need to understand them. So you still need to dig there. So you may have to practice the fact that, hey, today I got to put on a face and I got to make sure that I'm still digging. I'm still building these relationships. I'm still letting them know that I care, but you can't be fake about it. So if you're going to come off fake and they're going to see through it, that's going to ruin a lot of the progress you made. So you may have to kind of take a day off or maybe it's, hey, it's not quite as many conversations. It's not digging up in as deep. But I think the, the key to that is figuring out why don't I care today? How do I fix that? It's one thing to just be down and be like, Hey, I'm not in the mood for conversations. That's understandable. But like actually not caring. You're like, I just don't care about anybody today. Like there's something else going on there in my mind, uh, that needs to be uh, addressed first. And figure out, like, why am I not feeling this way today? And if I'm feeling that way, is it actually going to be harmful if I try to engage with with my colleague or with my student or, or this way because I'm putting off some negativity? And so having that self-awareness and reflection on that, I think, is important. And figure out, okay, how do I get back onto it tomorrow so that I can be
1: th- authentic again and get back into doing what I need to do? And I like the example you brought about with the the waiter or waitress in terms of hey these grandparents may not have seen mm-hmm. uh, a really young person in a while and so this could mean that for them so th- that seems to be a little bit of the formula with regard to i uh, am put myself in their shoes and recognizing how the thing i'm doing here can make a world of a difference and for teachers that's huge like hey what happens here can set the stage for Whether learning and growth and development are are, are headed to, I know college or career or or interesting fulfillment jobs or a much less pleasant, you know, life trajectory (laughs) uh, for folks. So, so that's that as well as medicine. But I think that some of the other fields, I think, can require a little bit of thought at times to, to zero in on who is it that we're serving and how is what i'm doing today potentially going to be transformationally amazing
2: for them yeah absolutely i think it's important to understand like yeah who you're serving regardless of what industry you're in and and what kind of engagement can help whatever it is that they're coming to you for and i mean obviously in the hospitality industry it's it's a lot of that communication and being friendly and because and you never know what kind of day they're having and if you can put a smile on their face that might be the first time all day same thing in the classroom it's like you know you don't know it's so it takes so long to figure out what are those kids coming to school with? What else do they have? What other things are they carrying emotionally? And you might be the only person in the world that that's showing them love for the day. That's showing them that you care for the day. Like that's massive. The same can be said for your your employee or your boss or your colleague. Like everyone's got something going on, right? And you don't know if the guy in the cubicle next to you or the, the girl down the, the hall in the other office is struggling with something and just a simple quick smile, a hello, a how are you, actual like authentic, I care, I actually am asking you, I want to know how are you doing today, what's going on, like that can make the world of a difference to somebody. And if you have a culture in your small business, big, large business, whatever, that has that and everyone's feeling that way, like the opportunity for negativity to seep in is far less, which is better, beneficial for
1: everybody. You know, I, I like what you said about the difference a smile can make. It reminds me one time, just a few, you... Just a few months ago, I was in church and there was someone who just like smiling, like completely and thoroughly. And I was like, wow, well, hi, that feels really good. (laughs) And and then I realized that she was looking at my baby. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Which That'll is, do it, right? I guess puts you in a good mood. Oh, sure. You know, does. If he's looking adorable. But uh, I was like, oh, wow, it's, it's pretty rare that you actually get, which <laughs> feels like a genuine, authentic, full on smile. Like I'm enjoying seeing you and babies get it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't as much. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the crazy thing is the smile,
2: like it's crazy what a smile does for you. So there's an, an author, an amazing educator named Adam Welcome. He wrote a book called Kids Deserve It, which is a massive hit in the education world, but then he also... Also wrote a book called run like a pirate and it's an amazing book if you pick it up it's a short easy read but it's phenomenal it it's like his story of in 2017 he ran a marathon every single month because adam's just intense but in the book he talks about like one of his tactics for sort of like getting through that mental game of running and i'm a runner this is why it's big for me but it's to just smile and it's funny like when i run now like if i feel like i'm having a hard time getting over the mental hurdle i will smile but then what's funny is, then, then I remember the fact that I'm smiling because Adam's book said it, which makes me like kind of chuckle and I smile and I'm telling you, man, it's like a whole nother level. Like it, it just does something to you. Like it's crazy. So if you can give someone a smile, maybe they give you a smile back and now you get your, like your authentic smile to yourself. Like it's, it's going to warm your soul and their soul. Like I, it's, I'm a huge fan of that. Like just, if you walk around me, we, we so often as humans just do anything we can to avoid contact. Or it can avoid eye contact, right? Like we look down, we just don't do anything. I try really hard and I don't do it every day, but I try really hard to just smile at people and say hi to as many people as I can because again, you don't know what they're going through. Like that's just,
1: it's such an important thing in my mind. And to your point about having a thousand conversations about nothing, in a way I, I like that feeling that sentence creates because it's sort of like you can just chill out like i'm not like i am intentionally trying to tease out 14 precise takeaways (laughs) from this discussion but it's like we're gonna talk about oh you like pizza that's cool what your favorite topics oh yeah sausage is the best you know whatever And, and in so doing you you build up a picture but that being said could you share what are some of the conversations about nothing that are often quite telling and they deliver something yeah i mean simple conversations about like what'd you do this weekend what are you up to
2: tonight and then playing off that of like oh like do you do you watch this do you watch this is us right do you cry Mm -hmm. during movies (laughs) do you you said it like pizza like or i mean it's a million different ways with students a lot of times it's what you do this weekend and that that opens up another question like you know oh like noticing something that maybe they have a graphic t-shirt on like oh do you like the incredible hawk or, or hawk or whatever get in that your, your co-workers can simply just be like and maybe they have a shirt on you know depending on the dress code and stuff but it could be asking them what they do this week and what are they up to this week and what do they think about this or that did they catch the game last night have they got, seen that new movie whatever it might be they have just those conversations that just start a conversation about nothing and give you a chance to just sort of learn a little bit about them because the way someone tells you about their weekend or explains what they liked or disliked about a movie or the team they cheer for like that tells you little bits and pieces about that person. You get someone talking, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so you, you connect with a Cleveland Browns fan and you connect with another Cleveland Browns fan, that's a bond that like can't be shook. So <laughs> there's little and, it's, and a lot of sport a lot of sports teams are like that. Like that's such a connection that you may not know that you have with a colleague or with your boss or whatever. And that simple little connection can change the way you guys communicate forever. Because now there's that little like Oh, that's typical Browns, right? There's this little, these little inside jokes that automatically form, or you love that show, or I'm, I'm a huge fan of Friends, the the TV show Friends from way back when. Like, I had an employee of mine that we worked with, I think five years he was with us, and he had autism, but he was, incredible worker, worked really hard and he would have moments where he had some struggles and he got frustrated with usually being directed because he was pretty good at his job, but if we needed to direct him, sometimes it took him wrong, he had a lot of stuff in his life that was dealing with. And people would have struggle with him because when he got in that mode, it was kinda like you were it, you weren't gonna break him. And I would literally just rattle off lines to an episode of Friends and we would just get going. And it was just this ridiculous Back and forth that no one else understood because unless they happen to know that one weird episode, but it would just crack them out of this thing. And it was this little piece that took me a while to figure out through just random conversations where one day, I don't even remember the actual conversation, but we were talking I don't remember the situation, but the conversation we were just talking and I said something, I can't remember what the line was that reminded him of the episode and he goes, oh, that's like the time Joey said da-da-da and we repeated it and we're like, ooh, instant connection. I now have my bond with you. We now have a million inside jokes that we can laugh about. And I now have something that I can pull out to help you get out of a funk
1: if you get into it. And that's just like, for me, that made my life managing shifts that he was on so much easier. Well, and I'm curious, as you're having these conversations about nothing, you're forming some relationships, you're learning all kinds of little things. I mean, especially in the context of a teacher with a classroom of, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 plus students. How do you keep all that straight? Do you recommend any particular systems or or tracking or note keeping? What do you do? Well, you
2: know, we've seen teachers do a million different things. Some I, some teachers are just amazing at it, just really, really good at it. There's a lot of uh, different types of things of, you know, at the beginning of the year working with some teachers do picture things where the, the kids get to, you know, share their stories with along with pictures. And so then the teacher sort of has that on the walls or on a document or something like that where they have that sort of resource. But, you know, you're also spending, they're spending every single day with those students. So you're getting to know it. they become. It's just like your colleagues at work. I mean, you're spending, if you're with the same 10, 15 people every day at, work for 60% of your life, like they're becoming, whether you like it or not, they're in your life as much as a best friend would be. So you're able to build that. So I think big pieces is much easier if you're truly caring. I'll go back to that because like, I don't have any trouble remembering which one of my friends likes this or likes that because they're my friends. I I know that information because I care about them and I built it in an authentic way, not because I was supposed to because my job said so. So it's tough to remember, okay, what's employee A1s favorite food it's easier to remember what's max's favorite food because i've built a relationship now versus i learned it because i'm supposed to because my job will be easier and i think the same thing with the teachers teachers who truly care about their students like they remember oh that's johnny he has the brothers that do this and the mom that struggles with that or the well he lives with his aunt or that he has this and and all oh, that's sarah and she has these things i think comes with the actual caring that comes in that situation so i think teachers are naturally inclined to be really really good at that because their hearts there in the first place they're trying to do something amazing and reach those kids but i, I really think it comes down to the actually caring about what you the people that you're working with and the people you're serving and, and truly wanting to learn about them
1: you know it's funny to keep coming back to this caring and we recently had uh interview with uh, Alden Mills, who's a Navy SEAL, and his whole thing was caring. He had a, a framework, CARE, C-A-R-E. Each of the letters has multiple subcomponents that start with a C and an A and an R and an E. So uh, it, it's kind of uh, fun little connections here. So let's talk about one of your great phrases that you have for for your business is that you you help teachers to reach the unreachable. So we've talked about some, some principles that are applicable across students, but if you've got a particular employee or student who is noteworthily, seemingly unreachable what do you do it's going to feel like I'm coming back again and again but
2: it's the relationship it's it's understand them like truly understand the person to so figure out who they are what drives them and why they've been deemed unreachable so when it comes to employees it, it's figuring out what are their strengths what are their struggles and then working with them to play on those strengths and focus on those strengths while still trying to build those struggle points and focus uh, really on what drives them you know one of your colleagues one of your employees might be driven by just by financial gain. Like they're driven by money and that's okay, but understand what drives them versus someone who's driven by admiration and wants to be looked at as an incredible employee or the best colleague around or whatever it might be. When it comes to the classroom, it's finding out what's driving your your student. Are they struggling? Are they quote unquote unreachable because they come from a really rough home and their entire life they've been told that they're dumb and they fail and they're stupid and they're not good at school and no one's giving them a shot because they struggled when they were younger and now it's just you know now they're in seventh or eighth grade and it's just been the cycle of failure where chad talks a lot about the cycle of failure so if you think about a student who goes to school in first grade like that students every student who goes to first grade it's like i got my backpack on I got my new shoes i'm ready to go right i'm gonna go i'm gonna be awesome and they go and they try really hard and they get an f you failed that's all right that's all right i'm gonna get it next year second grade they go and they're pumped up i'm gonna try really, really hard i'm gonna do awesome you you fail, you got an f oh okay all right, well, I'm gonna try really hard next year. I go to third and again and again, by the time they hit that fifth, sixth grade, they start doing some some quick math in their head and they're like, huh, you know, if I try really, really hard, I get an F. But if I don't do anything at all, I also get an F. Mm. That's a lot easier. Boom, stamped with unreachable. And what happens is, unfortunately, they get kind of written off. And so then you get this little like, oh, watch out for so-and-so, he's unreachable. You're like, you're not gonna get him, he's in trouble. He's gonna, whatever. The difference is when a teacher chooses to say, yeah, I don't accept that. I'm going to figure out why that student, what's what's really happened, why are they struggling? And Chad, this is actually like, love the love that you asked it's actually, you know, the story Chad tells a lot about it. one of his students, Jesse, who was that kid? He was a kid who everyone, he was on all those lists that teachers say they don't have in the top 10. And it actually ended up where Chad had him at the end of the day and for a couple of weeks, Chad never saw him. So he thought maybe he moved because transity was pretty common in those types of that type of community and stuff. But he asked his colleagues, like, where's Jesse? I haven't seen him. Did they move? And they're like, oh no, he's just getting kicked out of class before he gets to yours. He's getting sent down to in-school suspension. So Chad asked if he could go get him, worked out a deal with his principal and stuff, and actually started going to get him because he, he had built a relationship with Jesse and he knew, look, this kid's just been struggling his whole life. He's never had anyone tell him that he was worth it. The long story short is that Chad was able to connect with him because Chad started to understand that if Jesse had some time to work through things a little bit and had an opportunity to fail a few times and try again and try again without being told, I'm dumb, because a lot of times when students get to a certain point, they get that F or that D, their mind goes up, I'm stupid. I'm not good. I don't do well at school. I'm not good at school. And Chad figured out, well, if I can give him some time to work on that, and if I'm working my class and managing my class the right way, and I have some time to maybe read aloud to Jesse to help work her through these things, I bet he can do better and he did. He started doing really well. Uh, Obviously still had some issues here and there and stuff, but ended up doing really, actually ended up getting a B in the class. It's it's an awesome story that Chad tells that I won't go into because he's much better, but I think it's the same thing. You know, I think about the the employee I was just talking about. It's a similar thing. Like when he got into those modes, it was just like, ah, well, here he goes again. Like, and he's just written off, like you can't get to him. And this isn't to say that I'm anything special or anything, but I was able to find a way to connect with him to get him out of that. He went from being unreachable to reachable and now, boom, he was back to doing his job well. And so I think that goes for whether it's an employee, whether it's your your colleague, whatever it is, like everyone's got something going on. It all comes back to this, getting to know that person and truly understanding them and figuring out, okay, what drives them? like, And then also what takes them to this spot where they're quote unquote unreachable. And then what can I do to get them out of that? Like, You don't need to be a boss to be the person that gets an employee out of a funk. Sometimes the best person to do that is as is a colleague, right? Mm. And, and it's just like sometimes it takes another student to do it. But, uh, you know, I think it's really focusing on understanding that person and what drives them, what they need at that time.
1: Okay. Well, I'd also love to get your take when it comes to teaching and the actual delivery of learning content. Uh, what are, are some of the key principles that make communication uh, engaging versus kind of lame and boring and uh, not so engaging i think this goes and this goes the same this carries over this is one of
2: the things that we see that carries over both in the classroom and all other industries when it comes to training and teaching and, and redirecting and all this type of thing is, is focusing on the why so why am i teaching you this content why do you need to know that and it's the same why as like why do we do this or that in this particular way in this company like You can choose to just say because I'm the boss and I said so. Because I'm the teacher and I said you have to do this, you know, and this is how we've always done it. Or you can go beyond just barking orders and show them why it needs to be done. So I talked about Ray earlier and the Teach Further model, and that's one of the big things is we're going beyond just the hey let's just do this because the state says we have to hit these standards. But let's actually focus on why do you need to know this? Like why do you need to understand math? For the real world, like, why do you have to understand this concept? Why is understanding history important? Why should you learn coding? Like, what are you going to do with your life? And, and let's connect this and let me show you how this is connected to real world applications. They can do it. One of the awesome things about the Teach Further model is there's a piece of that at the end of every lesson where, or every unit, we're actually sending home, teachers are sending home what we call a planner for the future page, which is to the parents or the stakeholders, whoever it is, the guardians that says, this is what we learned. This is the state standard to hit. This is how we did it. Here's some of the things that your students showed that means that maybe they would be interested in a couple of these fields. And by the way, if they are interested in these fields, here's the type of education they may need to do after high school. And we're doing this at sixth grade levels, at fifth grade levels, at eighth grade levels, way before they get to the, even before they get to high school, because they need to be understanding that early on so they can apply all the stuff that they're learning through the rest of their school and to real life things and it's the same thing when you're in the the business world and you're training employees and stuff it's like i can tell you just do that because that's how you're supposed to do it because the rule book says it or i can explain to you why the rule book says it why have we determined that this the way of doing this thing or that thing is the best and how does that affect everything else that happens because what i'm essentially doing is saying hey this is why your job's important why well, your role in this company is important because if you do this like this this is what happens, and it ends up doing this for our customers. If you don't, here's how it bottlenecks or falls down, and we don't get there. And so that's the way that I think takes it from even the person who goes, "Man, my job's just I just do these numbers and whatever." But it's not. It's like if you don't do those numbers, then X Y Z doesn't happen, and somewhere down the line, it ends up happening that we don't serve our clients. There's an old story, and I don't remember what it. I can't remember who told it originally where I heard it, but it was an interview with. They were interviewing a bunch of people at NASA before, like when we were getting ready to launch to the moon, way back when, and they were talking to a janitor and they asked, like, what do you do? And he said, I'm working to put a man on the moon. And like his understanding that if those halls weren't clean, if the garbage wasn't taken care of, if the labs weren't clean, like that affects the progress of everyone else and could potentially interrupt someone who's trying to make a breakthrough to figure out how do we get to the moon? Like you can break that down. Like every little piece of an organization is so important that if you focus on explaining to your team and, and everyone and to students the same way, like why is it important that you're doing what you're doing and the way you're doing it and we're learning these things? How does that affect the outcome? How does that positively impact
1: what we're trying to do? I think that's, that's how you get there. Well, and I really dig that because you you unpack the explanation of a why on a few dimensions. Which I think is great. Is one is, you know, historically, this is what we've discovered and what, how we ended up here and the formulation of it is the way it is for this reason. And then this is what happens if you do it. And this is what happens if you don't. <laughs> and so then that that paints a picture like, well, shoot, this is pretty important. Like, I matter. Yeah, and that's the key, right? I matter because
2: who's going to work harder? Someone who just thinks they push papers or someone who thinks these papers matter? Like that person who thinks the papers matter. If you're a manager listener or a supervisor listener, one of the other little side effects that this does, and you may not like it, but you should like it, is that if you're explaining to people why you do things a certain way, it opens up the door for them to recommend other ways. And sometimes as managers and owners and whatever, we don't want to hear it. But it's really important to close your mouth on that and listen because they may have something you never thought of because they're at the ground level and that's crucial. And it's just, and we see it in classrooms too, where if you're explaining to the students why do they need to understand that, they'll come up with other reasons. They'll be like, oh, or because X, Y, Z. And you're like, I didn't even think of that well, Also that. Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to throw that in my next time I talk to a student. But it's the same thing in a company, like saying like, hey, this is why we do it. And they're like, oh, that's great. Why don't we do it like this? And you're like, oh, we probably should. Let's change
1: that. Like,
2: It's just it's powerful
1: in so many different levels. That's good. That's real nice. Well, so we hit the grid method a couple times in terms of little references, but I just can't help myself. When I hear grid method, I'm already visualizing a grid. And I got to know, what does what it consist of and, and how might it be applied to uh, folks uh, learning and growing and developing in a grown-up uh, work context?
2: Yeah, so what the grid method is, is a a framework for utilizing mastery learning in classrooms. So when I say mastery learning, it's it... there's a lot that could go into that, but in general, it's a shift from standing at the front of the classroom delivering content to all the students all at the same time and expecting them to move all at the same time to shifting to mastery learning, which is where students are moving at their own pace and only moving on as they master the content, as they master certain pieces of it. And a lot of organizations already do a similar version of, of mastery learning where you're in a training program and you have to master a certain a certain level of skill or understanding before you can move on to the next. I think the difference is and the focus is the speed at which in education and in a lot of businesses, we set a certain timetable and we say, well, it should take you two weeks to learn this. And if you don't learn it in two weeks, I guess you're just not good enough for it. Or in is it's if you don't lose it in two weeks, too bad. Like you fail, we're moving on, right? If you don't understand two plus two, we're moving on to two times two and you're just never going to get it at all ever. And I think the biggest thing is that individuality because we need to understand that we all one, learn differently and two, learn at different speeds. So if you think about it, a real great way to break it down is like, think about the, you have a couple kids at home, correct?
1: That's right.
2: Okay. So when you were teaching the walk or maybe you're doing it right now, you probably did it like most people where you stood them up and they, you know, they, they, they fell a lot. They crawled and they fell and then they started using the, the, uh, whatever they could grab onto, right? Your leg or the furniture or whatever. And then eventually they figured it out. And now they run around like crazy if they're like my kids. Mm-hmm. But But what if I told you that the way I did with my kids is I took my son, Jonathan. I said, all right, man, we're going to do this. We're going to practice for two weeks and then we're, we're going to work on it. I'm going to work with you. You're going to fall and everything like this. And then at the end of two weeks, I said, all right, Jonathan, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, you stand there. I'm going to stand the prescribed 10 feet away from you. And now you need to walk to me. And he takes a couple steps, stumbles, boom, falls. And I said, well, sorry, son, you failed your walking test. I guess we're going to just not learn how to walk. We're going to move on to potty training. No, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. But then when we get into school and in the business, we say, hey, you got two weeks to learn this or you got a week to learn this. And if you don't, I guess you're just not going to get it. And, and I always wonder, like, how many amazing, potentially amazing employees are we not given a shot to? Because we wrote them off because they didn't get it quick enough. Yeah. Same in education. Too many students get written off as unreachable or not smart, not good test takers, not good at math because we gave them a short amount of time and we expected them to move at the same speed as everyone else. Well, we all learn differently how to walk in different speeds. Some kids walk a, a year, some take some three years. I mean, same with talking, same with learning how to ride a bike, learning everything like that. So the framework and just the mastery learning shift in general is focusing on the individual and where they're actually at, focusing on what they actually actually need and when they need it versus when we think they should have it. And I think that's the biggest piece we we drive that helps drive mastery of the content, whether in a school business, whatever. That's good. And so where's
1: the grid come into play?
2: So the grid essentially. So when we work with teachers, one of the first things we do is we help them look at their, their state standards and what they have to meet, what the state says that they're supposed to be teaching. And we help them break them down and align them to the essential questions that they need to ask their students, that they need to have their students understand. And then that breaks down into learning opportunities and activity actual activities that students are doing in order to master the content so then they take all those learning opportunities which you can think of like a lesson plan right we call them learning opportunities cuz a, a lesson is something you give someone a learning opportunity is something they have to take so we purposely use that words those words but it becomes the grid becomes a the learning path for the student to move it's their guide it's their their map if you will it's this formed of these of little squares that have activities in them. It explains what they need to do, whatever it is that they're doing, whether that's vocabulary words, whether that's a, a science experiment, whatever it might be. And then what they need to do in order to be checked off for mastery. So students move through these, and so I I go and I do what I need to do in, in square one. And when I'm ready to be checked, and I feel I've mastered that, I check in with the teacher, or there might be a self assessment or automatic assessment through technology. I cannot move on to that next square until I've mastered that content and I've shown my mastery at at least an 85 percent or higher level of mastery and then I move on. So the grid, if you can visualize, is just a piece of paper with levels, five different levels of those squares. And as students start from the bottom, they build that foundational level knowledge. As they move up, the depth of knowledge that's required, the level of mastery that's required grows. So there's fewer boxes because there's fewer activities because they're a little more in depth as they move on and then as they move up and they level up in that grid they're getting deeper and deeper into that content and into that concept and then or that so a grid itself would encompass basically sort of like what you would consider like a unit of study some units might require multiple grids some are just one grid so it can it varies teacher to teacher how much they want to pack in there
1: when we talk about the grids is there something in particular that's on the x-axis and on the y-axis
2: so yeah so going up on the side there is your levels of depth Depth of knowledge. So, across, yeah, all right. uh, going, yeah, going across is, is dependent on your. So, your, your ex is your. It depends on the. Le- those are your learning opportunities, right? Those individual mm-hmm. boxes that say this is what you're going to do, to help to practice and then show your mastery. Along the moving upwards is their levels. So, when I say depth of knowledge, uh, we're referring to we build it off of. Uh, it's called Webb's depth of knowledge, and there's there's levels, and it's moving up. A, it's the level of understanding. So, as they move up, those levels are showing the level of understanding they're at now most you know we do there's actually four levels in de- in webs we do five levels because we put like an independent exploration up top for those students that just excel and blow through it so that once they master content they can go have fun with it and learn more about it most standards are written in that three two three sometimes four range typically the two three range so most of your students are going to end up around that level but you have students that are moving all at the same or at different paces based on what they need and so what this does then is allows those students that are just get it and They're just like, we call them rabbits that are just really quick and they just get it. They can move and they can keep learning. They can grow. They don't have to wait for the student that maybe struggles. But that student that needs a little more time, that needs a few attempts to try to get it because they just don't get it. Now they have the time to do that. You can spend time with them either one-on-one or small groups to assess where they're at, where they're struggling. Find other ways to explain it to them. Also, side note build those relationships really nice there and stuff and move on so because what what you'll find is most students struggle because one of two reasons either one they already get it and they're bored and so they Mm -hmm. just check out of your class and a lot of times that leads to problems that's where you have like these extremely gifted students that are really intelligent but they cause problems they're just bored and they're like, why am I learning this? I already know it. I don't need to do this. This is this is a waste of my time. Or you have the student that's just struggling because maybe they, they've struggled. They have trouble with reading. So like just basic, simple vocabulary work is really tough for them. And they're struggling because they're getting yanked along. And it's like, oh, you don't know two plus two, so we're moving on. Right now I'm frustrated because I don't get it. So now I'm lost forever. And it's just been a cycle. So by folks giving everyone the time they need, you're hitting that top level and all the way down to the, the bottom level of students getting what they need. And they're allowed to move on when they need to move on, but they can take a little more time when they need a little more time. So, mm-hmm. And then you know, there's a lot of pieces that go along with that on how to manage that and stuff. And that's where a lot of our training comes into is like, all right, and how, we, how we, we created a grid, but then also, how does this work in my classroom? Because it, it can be a little scary to think of 20, 30 students all moving at doing different things at different times. And that's a big mindset
1: shift for a lot of teachers. Cool. Well tell me Jeff, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Let's go. How about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? But it's some
2: people dream of success, others wake up and work hard at it. And I, I think that's that's true no matter where you're at in your
1: life. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: So I don't do a lot of studies, but there's one that I found a while back, and I do what it is. It's it's from the University of California, Berkeley. And it was just a study on happiness, like what is happiness? And the biggest thing that I all refer back to every now and then, but really just sort of the summary of it and the fact that like happiness isn't about money or things. It's about fulfillment. It's about it's not about what others think. It's it's not about keeping up with the Joneses and stuff like that. It's about what you need and what's important to you. And, you know, for a long time, I felt like I needed to be like a certain person, a certain level of success, make a certain amount of money, do certain things, whatever. But all I really needed was to find something that I love doing and that I'm good at and that I find a purpose in. And I think that I just love that about happiness.
1: And how about a favorite book? The Go-Giver,
2: Bob Berg. It's one of my uh, all-time favorite. I love it. I have quotes. I have to find that episode. I got to dig through that episode. I actually have massive uh, final prints of the laws all over my walls. Live
1: by them. So. And how about a favorite tool? Something that helps you be awesome at your job?
2: I live and die in base camp. We use it as our project management. I use it as self-reminders project management. Our, our team lives in it. We're all virtual, so that's massive for us. And then I also use... An app on my phone called the Five Minute Journal that's really just a, like a morning sort of gratitude and self-awareness and then an evening reflection that just sets me up for the day and allows me to reflect every day. Love it. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit? I'm running. Started running about, about this past August and just getting back into it, focusing on waking up early and getting to work at it. It's changed everything.
1: And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with uh, those that you're teaching?
2: Yeah, I think so with them and more with the team and stuff. I, I love this. I don't know if you know Gary Vaynerchuk. He says, I won't say it in the way he says it, but if you live for the weekends, your stuff is broken. That's massive for me because I just think we live in such a world where there's so many opportunities to do so many different things that if you're doing something you hate, like it's just not worth it. You got to get out find something that you love and that's and and i I say the same thing to teachers all the time i said if you're dreading monday like you should probably not be a teacher anymore like Mm -hmm. and i love when i talk to teachers, and they're like i am so pumped to be back from spring break because i get to see my kids again i get to make an impact and i'm like that too like i'm pumped for mondays every monday like even when it's stressful and it's crazy like we're a small business we're growing like it's stressful pretty much every day but i love it and i just think if you're just dying on monday already for it to be Friday night, man, like something's broken. You got to fix it. And Jeff,
1: if folks want to learn more, get in touch. Where'd you point them?
2: Twitter. I love big on Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm on there all the time. I'm at Jeff Gargas. I'm on Instagram too at underscore Jeff Gargas. or just reach out to us at uh, teachbetter.com. And you can literally email me at Jeff at teachbetter.com. I love building connections and chat with people and just figuring out if there's any way that I can help. And do you have a final challenge or call to
1: action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: I think take some time to get really, really self-aware. Get rid of all the nonsense and like the BS and what other people say. Take time to figure out what you love or what you don't love, what you're good at and what you struggle with. Really think about it. Clear out all that other junk, everybody else's voices. Forget like the expectations that people have for you, the criticism, the negativity, all that stuff. Like just focus on like the real you, be you. When you do that, you have no reason to like make it up and trying to put on a show. It's just for you. Like, what are you awesome at? What do I love doing? Go do that. Figure out how do I play on my strengths? How do I surround myself with people who are awesome at what I'm not so that I can be awesome at what I need to be. And just like what that means going to work for someone, joining a team, building a team uh, to fill your gaps, whatever it is, like no one can be as awesome that the things you do as you are. So go find out what that is, do it and
1: just love your life. It's just, it's not worth not doing that. Awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been a treat. Good luck at all you're doing and helping folks teach better. I appreciate it, Pete. This has been awesome. Thank you. I really liked the point that he came back to again and again. Jeff talked about actually, Karen. I've been to hear that in my mind numerous times. Actually, Karen, might no G and sticks the the Jeff flavor. Actually, Karen, because it really does make all the difference. Because I've seen a number of I don't know systems, approaches, prescriptive advice for. Businesses and processes like, oh, ask your people these three questions at the beginning or the end of a meeting, or the beginning or the end of the work week in an email. And I get what they're going after is questions like, "Hey, what was your high?" or "What was your low?" or or "What's a challenge that I can help you with?" You know, whatever. Those sorts of things are handy questions that sort of point to being able to to serve and and care. But if you don't actually care, they ring hollow. And I've seen that fall through in a number of times when, when that's sort of the, the fancy intervention the speaker or their consultant offers is just ask these three questions. Well, the three key questions are not a substitute for actually caring as Jeff would say, and indeed, they're just a handy means of maybe systematizing or repeating or making more habitual your caring if you have forgotten to do so. So great distinction from Jeff, the stuff that actually makes the difference. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F430. And if you haven't already, hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Sarah Cannaday. She is talking about some particular business rules that need to be broken. Hope to catch you there.